I just think educators have to take it upon themselves to self-educate. Listen mm-hmm. to audiobooks about what dyslexia is and isn't. There's so many wonderful podcasts, blogs. Listen to different audiobooks and podcasts that are really going to help you understand those kids in your class that need you so badly to understand them. Hello, and welcome to the Dyslexia Mom Boss Podcast, the show that helps you not only feel empowered and knowledgeable, but confident and a boss mom in the dyslexia journey. I'm your host, Dr. Lauren. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of the Dyslexia Mom Boss Podcast. We, again, are still in season four, International Talks and Storytelling. And today, my guest is coming from the educator's perspective of working with dyslexics, but then built her own business. So I'm always excited to talk to other entrepreneurial women who are in this edupreneurial space. So I want to invite my guest, Allie Young, to the show. Welcome to the show. Yes. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to collaborate and share my story. Yes. And really, those of you who are avid listeners, you know what this is what this podcast is all about. It's all about bringing that awareness, really honestly putting out this free content because parents don't know this, educators don't know this, and I just really want this to reach so many people. So let's get to know Allie a little bit and really hear how she fits in the context of the dyslexia world. So Allie, you are the owner of The Learning Lab, and I love your mission. So the mission for all of you who are not familiar with The Learning Lab is to guide every smart but struggling learner, their families, and the school communities towards a simplified path of social, emotional, and education best practices for students with SLD. And for those of you who are not familiar with SLD, that's Specific Learning Disability. So I love that mission. I really want to know what inspired this mission And for you to share a little bit about your journey. Absolutely. Thank you. So I started off as an educator. I worked my first job out of college. I was an assistant teacher in a first grade classroom. I was not an education major in college. I was a double major in sociology and psychology. So I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I had no specific training in, you know, classroom. Right. Education. But I just really with kids, like I said, my first job out of college was an assistant teacher in a first grade classroom. My mentor, who was the lead teacher, we became absolute fast friends, best friends, sisters. She's still my best friend and a mentor of mine. And I just learned so much from her that first year about reading instruction. Obviously, first grade Mm -hmm. is a big reading year. And then fast forward, my whole educational journey really started with my first eight years working in primary classrooms. So I Mm. taught kindergarten, first grade, second grade, I did all the small group reading interventions. And then at one point, when I was teaching in a public school, teaching first grade, the reading specialist kind of took me under her wing at that time and said, I feel like you're so good at this kind of reading instruction. I want to give you all the lowest reading groups and have Mm -hmm. your higher reading groups go to other first grade classrooms. So basically, I was sort of like that tier two, tier Mm -hmm. three reading small group specialist, if you want to call it. I started working on a Wilson program called Foundations, which is Oregon Gillingham based. I'm just such a like, I'm such a structured, very left brain person. So the structure of it really resonated with me. I liked having the systematic, the sequential, very explicit, and of course the multi-sensory. I loved it. I was a natural for it. 
And the kids got so much out of it. Mind you, on the other side, I was also reading and studying to become a reading specialist myself, getting my reading endorsement because I really did love this. And the reading specialist just really encouraged me to go all in. Here's the social emotional piece. I always noticed that these kids, some of them were hiding under the tables during spelling tests or full-blown tears during reading time. I just started noticing that there was so much more to this for the struggling learner. And I feel like that piece didn't make sense for me right away because no one ever talked about dyslexia. No one really Mm -hmm. ever explained to me in all my training that specific learning disability with a reading impairment meant that these kids need to be taught in a totally different way. They have to be getting this Orton-Gillingham instruction. It's the only way that they're going to be successful with reading. And I also didn't understand that these are really smart, capable kids. There's nothing intellectually going on. It's just about the instruction piece. So of course, they're going to be shattered when they are smart and knowing that how come all these other kids are getting this and it's coming together for them and I am struggling. Right, easier. So that feels so hard when you are smart and you're keenly aware that you are intelligent and you get things, but you don't get this. And it's so hard. As I started getting more into the reading specialist world, I really saw it from this other perspective, this really interesting gray area or catch-22 where these kids are so smart that they slip between the cracks. They just sometimes don't even qualify for an IEP because they're not failing badly enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they just struggle and struggle and struggle. And then maybe sometimes they'll hit that third grade wall or fourth grade wall where everything just crumbling down. And by that point, their confidence is in the gutter. And there's all these other anxieties and depression, and all these other behaviors that come up when it really could have been addressed appropriately from the beginning, if there was just appropriate mm-hmm. instruction and early intervention and noticing the early signs. So I just started saying like this light bulb came on for me, like, wow, this is such an interesting little niche that is not being addressed appropriately. And there's so many myths and misconceptions that go along with that. So much fear surrounding dyslexia because of the myths and misconceptions. Long story short, that mentor of mine left the classroom and started her own business and kind of said to me, come, come do this with me. Let's help the kids. And I was like, wait, yes. no, I don't know. I'm, I like my little predictable job. But thank <laughs> God for her. Thank God for her for really encouraging me to be like you said, that teacherpreneur and taking the leap of right. faith because now I'm able to impact so many kids and so many families and educate other educators and parents and empower kids and families. I am so grateful to her for encouraging me to take that leap of faith. It changed my life. And now I'm able to change so many other lives. Yeah, you touched on a lot of amazing things I just want to highlight on. So first thing, you were talking about that instruction, but that lack of social emotional. And I think that that isn't, I mean, I don't know now. I mean, I've been out of grad school for over a decade, but I don't know how much of that is really stressed, especially being a primary educator. When you're going through your education program, whether it's undergrad, grad, or both, you really need to teach to the whole child. And when I first started my career in a specialized private dyslexic school, that was what the head of school said all the time. We teach to the whole child. And it wasn't until I went to public school, granted, I went from elementary specialized private school to public school secondary. So, you know, that is completely different from elementary. Yeah, it's a huge jump, but I didn't feel that social emotional component was even Mm -hmm. there when I was in public school. And I'm like, these are seventh and eighth graders that are just getting that instruction. But clearly, as you said, 
they're smart, but they struggle. They have that SLD, but they're not failing enough to either get the services or they have the services, but it's really not individualized to them, even though it says it is, but it's not. So I just think that it's just interesting kind of hearing your perspective on that because I agree with everything you said. And I think you, the biggest thing that I have found is you, kids have to feel safe. It's not a one-liner. Like they literally have to feel safe, comfortable and have a relationship. And then they are more apt to take risks. They're more willing to fail, you know? And I don't mean that in like a mean way, but like they'll try. Mm -hmm. And if they don't do well, they have that relationship. So I love that. And another thing I want to say to the teacherpreneur part is, actually Think Dyslexia is launching right now a Tired Teacher to Teacherpreneur membership because very similar to you and myself, there's so much that we can do outside of the classroom to impact so many other people. And so many teachers don't really know the ins and outs of how to get there. So I just love that you come from this place of, like you said, your safe classroom and salary and all of that. But look at all the amazing work you're doing now, building your own business. I love that. I yeah, absolutely love that. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think as a primary teacher and something else I learned from my very first mentor is behaviors communication. Exactly. Like it's not yes. separate. It's not a separate mm-hmm. entity. Like if this child is acting out, right? Like the boys, it's usually like these explosive behaviors. And with the girls, it's sometimes more typically implosive, like mm-hmm. anxiety and depression. But those behaviors are a sign. Those are a symptom of something else going on. And that's the piece. And like you said, I mean, when kids feel safe and loved and connected, they can learn. If they're not feeling safe and loved and connected, they're not going to learn. And if you are not feeling successful, of course, Mm -hmm. you're going to act out or feel badly about yourself. So it's all interconnected. It's all about the whole child and everybody and just really understanding everybody's experience, even as these little people, even their little you know, a seven-year-old, what's their experience been in education? Absolutely. And so coming from that educational experience, working with these struggling SLD learners, what advice can you actually give teachers now who are listening to this? And it is, if you're listening to this today at premieres, it's August 15th. So some of you have just kind of gone back to school and some of you are gearing up to go back to school. What advice, Allie, can you give them to feel empowered in the classroom to support these students? Well, I'm excited to answer that question and take this opportunity to share. (laughs) 20% of the population is dyslexic. If you have, in every single classroom across the country, you do have at least one or two kids in your class that's dyslexic. So I empower those teachers to take the time to educate yourself on what the signs are, the early signs. Things like not remembering the months of the year, not remembering directionality, those early, early signs, delayed speech. You know, typically the first thing I hear from parents when the kids are going through this whole process is, oh, well, the teachers have them on an IEP for speech. And I'm always like, ding, ding, ding. Okay, well, that could be, you know? So I just think educators in age have to take it upon themselves to self-educate. So read, listen Mm -hmm. to audiobooks about what dyslexia is and isn't. There's so many wonderful, like your podcasts, blogs, articles, right? right? Like (laughs) listen, just in the car, listen to different, audiobooks and podcasts that are really going to help you understand those kids in your class that need you so badly to understand them. And mm-hmm. it's also about understanding the science of reading. I think we spoke about this when we first met, but my best friend is a kindergarten teacher in Fairfax County. And mm-hmm. in every single primary classroom in Fairfax County is implementing Orton Gillingham in just their tier one instruction. 
So, and she good. was like blown away. All these kids are becoming good readers. And it's the appropriate way to teach all early readers. So if it's the appropriate way to teach everyone this way, and it's the only way for the kids with dyslexia to learn how to read, why not just do it across the board? So I think educating themselves on the early signs and then also educating themselves on how the best practices for implementation for reading and spelling instruction. If you're a tired teacher looking for a way out of the classroom and want to turn your expertise and talents into becoming your boss, creating your flexible schedule, and building a business that serves your needs and wants, then you want to subscribe to my Tired Teacher to Teacherpreneur Mindset Monday episodes. If you want a taste of what it's like to transition out of the classroom to becoming a teacherpreneur, then join me every Monday for 15 minutes. This exclusive subscription offers a community, resources, and access to me all for $5 a month. Put that $5 towards your morning coffee from Starbucks to good use and subscribe today. Click the link in the show notes and hang out with me and other teachers every Monday at 5 a.m. See you there. I definitely hear you. And I think that, you know, Orton Gillingham is a buzzword. And I mean that in a positive, but I also mean that in a way that some parents don't really know mm-hmm. what it is. They just hear people say, oh, your child needs Orton Gillingham. And then they're just like, I need Orton <laughs> Gillingham. And, but like you said, you have to educate yourself and, and specifically on this podcast, I've interviewed, I think about three Orton Gillingham fellows. So if you're a parent or a teacher and you're like, I don't really know what this is, you know, definitely go to a few episodes where I'm trying to think one episode, I believe that you could listen to, I think it's episode 42 with one of my friend colleague who is an Orton Gillingham fellow and a mom of an SLD adult child now, but she talks about, you know, the positives of Orton Gillingham can do and how it is emotionally sound and has that explicit instruction. So I couldn't agree with you more about parents and educators really continuing to educate themselves. And I know sometimes teachers get really frustrated with, well, my district's not doing this and then I have to go pay for these courses and I have to do this. And it really does kind of suck overall that we have to invest in our education. But I think that's just how the system's set up. But there's free resources. Um, I mean, there's tons of free resources out there. Obviously, audiobooks are going to be what, like $15. It's not going to be 5,000. So it's like, but you know, so it's doable. It's it's really going to help those two or three kids in your class that just need you to understand them so badly and understand that it's not a motivation thing. It's they're trying their hardest. They're trying 10 times harder than some of the other kids. And just understanding the science of reading as a whole and, and what that means and really understanding the myths and misconceptions about dyslexia, because there's just so much fear behind it because of that. Right. So yeah, totally educated. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I was actually doing a teacher workshop the other day and a teacher, it was for dyslexia screening data that we were going through end of the year data. What was interesting to me, and this really put it in perspective, the teacher said, how do we use this data? Like, how is this data helpful? And of course, at first I was like, what do you mean? How is this helpful? We're finding out if your child has strong phonemic awareness and vocabulary. Like for me, I'm like, why don't you see that this is an instructional tool? But then she said, I don't even know what dyslexia Mm. is. And I was like, oh, I said, okay, so we need to start there because if you're administering the screener for something that you don't even know anything about, obviously you don't know how to use it to inform your instruction. So for me, teachers who are listening to this, 
I always just start with the basic example of a typical brain versus a dyslexic brain and how a typical brain has those three areas yep. lit up and the dyslexic brain has one area lit up. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I literally just posted on my Instagram today, <laughs> that same brain, it's exactly what you're yes. talking about. Yep. Yes. And I think when teachers hear that and see it, then they're like, oh, oh, this really is a brain-based difference. You know, it really is. So I think that's really the place to be the most simplistic place to start because you're right. I mean, I've heard teachers say, oh, this kid tried harder. This kid's lazy. They're not lazy. It's literally the wiring of their brain, you know? Things are not lighting up how they would be if they had a typical learner brain. So we have to work with them differently. Yeah. So this really kind of eases into the next question I have for you that will kind of lead into your services for Learning Lab. So I know that you really provide that early intervention, that appropriate instruction accommodation. When you had those tools as an educator, how did that impact your former learners? And how does that also translate into the services for their Learning Lab? Well, I saw that the pieces were coming together for them I never like to use the word, the term, it clicked because I don't believe things just click. I think things come together mm. when you have the pieces. Okay. Right. And giving this appropriate instruction gives them tools and gives them these pieces mm-hmm. of the puzzle so that things can start to make sense. Because to them, it's really just this arbitrary language that is like, what am I doing with all of this? How do I manipulate this? Mm-hmm. I don't understand. So we're giving them tools to really understand how to make sense of this language. And I just see the light bulbs coming on when all of the pieces come together. And what's interesting is now we have kids that come to the learning lab. Let's say ideally the kids like a kindergarten, first grader, we get them when they're really young and fresh and we don't have to tear down the whole house. We can build a strong foundation from the bottom up. But sometimes we get those kiddos that are like, man, they've created these terrible coping strategies and habits and things that are like kind of guessing and Maybe they were even taught to right. guess, right? Maybe it was like, oh, look at the picture, get a clue, yeah. guess at the first mm-hmm. letter. Like, mm-hmm. no, 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 we need, we're not guessing, we're reading, we have to decode. That obviously is a lot harder when we do have to tear down the house and rebuild the whole foundation and rebuild the house for a fourth grader who's had all these bad experiences and that weren't working for them. But when it's all working together, when we have the Orton-Gillingham instruction and we actually implement also a cognitive software program called Fast Forward, that's hmm. really interesting okay. for if you're like a brain science-y nerd like me, just like <laughs> you were saying about those parts of the brain that aren't wiring together, they're not firing together. So right. this program, without getting too deep into it, basically is based on watching brain scans of these kids engaged in reading activities and how can we use wow. neuroplasticity to rewire those neural pathways? Yeah. Because The brain is malleable. We can use neuroplasticity to rewire those neural pathways. So it's really cool when kids are doing that in conjunction with the appropriate instruction and they're in Mm -hmm. a safe and loving environment and we can take brain breaks and wiggle breaks and chat breaks or whatever, you know, just the combination of targeting it all intensively, frequently, all of that is just so powerful. Yeah, I love that. And I'm actually looking at your website and you have a lot of amazing services that I kind of want you to share with the audience. You have the homework lab, you have a homeschool support packages, a neuro lab. Tell our audience about the amazing services and how they can Sure. Well, what's great, what's (laughs) funny is I'll start from the bottom because it's kind of how it all happened. 
So when my former partner and I, who was my mentor, who I guess I learned so much from, and I'm so grateful for her, we started with just this homework program. It was called the homework hangout. At the homework hangout, kids would come. At first it was me and her. We hired like our first employee when I was like super pregnant and needed to take a couple weeks off. But it was just me and her and we would have the kids come from elementary schools and some middle schools and come and help. We'd help them get organized. How do I get organized? How do I get started? Task initiation, planning, prioritizing, just kind of overall those executive functioning skills. How do I get started? How do I forget about the academic part of the homework? How do I find it and not lose it? And like all those types of things, right? Right. Which are so critical skills that are not taught, but they're expected. So that's kind of how everything started. But then, of course, that now turned into what we call the homework lab. So the homework lab is where kids come four days a week for one-hour sessions. They work in a small group of three students to one teacher. And those are not the intervention kids. Those are not the ones that really need academic remediation. Those are the kids that are struggling Mm -hmm. with executive functioning skills, planning, prioritization, time management, accountability, and of course, a little reteach here and there. But mostly those are the kids that just need accountability and maybe not to fight with their parents every night about homework, just having an expert and also a collaborator with the teachers to say, hey, you know, so-and-so has this writing assignment. Is there a rubric for this that we can make sure we're doing this the right way? Things like that. So with the parents' permission, we also collaborate with the teachers in the schools. And then we always also had our one-on-one tutoring, which is now called our I3 lab. It stands for Intensive Individualized Mm -hmm. Instruction. So the I3 lab is where we have the Barton Reading and Spelling System, which is an Orton-Gillingham-based program. We use Visualizing and Verbalizing, which is a Linda Mood-Bella program. We even have some kids that come in for math. We use touch math, very multi-sensory. So whatever the recipe is, every child's individualized protocol is worked on during that one-on-one individualized time. So typically those kids come two days a week in the afternoons for one-hour sessions. We do have some kids that come four days a week in the afternoons. But like we touched on earlier, a lot of these kids with SLD and dyslexia and other learning challenges, they're working 10 times harder during the school day. So all we're really going to get out of them is an hour twice a week to really give them that intervention and get the results that we want. And so those kids are with us usually from August to May. They have the same teacher, unless, of course, a substitute, but they have the same Mm -hmm. teacher all year two days a week for one-hour sessions of whatever their one-on-one target needs to be. Then kind of out of necessity, this other thing was born, which is our homeschool support program. The homeschool support program Mm -hmm. was never really like meant to happen. It was an accident. It was kind of just, we had a couple kids that really needed more. The school system had failed them so badly, whether it was a private school or a public school, whatever. There was a few different experiences, a few different journeys. But these kids were so far behind that they were just drowning. So what we came up with was, well, what if we pull this child out of school for a year or two, have them enroll as a homeschooled Mm. student so that the parent is saying, I'm taking charge of my child's education. And then we on our end said, we'll do all the education part. We'll do the reading intervention every single day. We'll do writing intervention every single day. We'll do math in a small group using multi-sensory instruction. We'll follow the Florida standards so that when they do integrate back into whatever traditional school they're at, they'll be familiar with that. But we're going to teach it in a totally different way. Now we're going to do science and social studies. But guess what? We're going to do projects, presentations, and we're going to have the content on your intellectual and grade level. 
but it's also going to be on your independent reading level, which might be a first grade reading level, Mm. but you're learning fourth grade concepts. But now the kids can be interested and invested in it because they know what's going on and they have ownership of it. So, and of course, uh, that was another opportunity to implement the fast forward program. So it's really just this major robust program that targets all of it to really help get that kid completely caught up so that when they go back into the school system, they may need just some accommodations, stuff like that. But we're really, the intention of that program is to close significant gaps and hopefully help them reintegrate successfully. Yeah. So now that program is huge. We just had eight kids in our Fort Lauderdale office. We had eight students in that program and three teachers. And they are just the happiest, most confident, loving family of learners. And it's just beautiful. I know. I was actually going to ask too, and you stated you're in Florida. So those of you who are listening, if you're in Florida and if you're in the Fort Lauderdale area, check out the Learning Lab. Do you do anything virtual or is this all? Of course, during COVID, we did for a little bit, but really, (laughs) and maybe it's just my own personal feelings, but I feel that the kids learn best when they are person person. to person, like touching, feeling the manipulatives and building a relationship with their teacher and hugging and laughing and jumping and all that kind of stuff. So for me, I just feel that learning is such an emotional process. It has to be person to person. So we have a Fort Lauderdale location and we have one in Davie and we're opening one in North Fort Lauderdale in March, 2024. That's awesome. Wow. Allie, this has been such an amazing conversation and I always love having guests on and learning more about who they are in the context of this space. And I'm inspired, even though I did leave the classroom as well, but I hope other teachers are inspired if this is the path they want to go down, you know, to really take their expertise and turn it into a passion that maybe turns into a business. So I just love how you brought so much to the table as an educator, as a business owner, the services you offer are just absolutely amazing. So those of you who are listening, be sure to go to the show notes. All of these links will be there for you to contact Allie at the Learning Lab. Also, as I mentioned earlier in this episode, Tired Teacherpreneur membership. You can click that and check that out. Allie, thank you thank so much you, for Thank you, Dr. Being Lauren. And thank you for doing this and spreading this information for people. And I think it's just so powerful to help inspire and empower educators and parents. Yes, absolutely. And next week, we will be actually talking about an app that helps dyslexics. So stay tuned for next week's episode.